And welcome to For What Is Earth podcast, your environment, climate change and sustainability podcast, which makes big issues bite-sized and asks, what can we do to save the planet? I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week we are going to be talking about sea ice, or rather the increasing lack of sea ice on our planet. Now, this is almost like the, the poster child of environmental issues in many ways. And I imagine that just for everyone listening knows some sort of little tiny, tiny little fact somewhere in their brain about uh, sea ice coverage um, over the last couple of decades. And at the very least, you've seen a picture of a polar bear looking sad because yeah. there's none left. At the yeah. very or, least. Or a stranded penguin or something. Or penguins are Antarctica. But yeah, but there's sea ice in that. Antarctica. There is. We'll get on to that. So it works. No problem. Flawless logic this episode. Great. But before we dive into <laughs> uh, anything too serious, shall we... Do our world-famous podcast section. Uh, what one good thing have you done this week? World-famous, I like it. We're getting mm. ambitious. Yes, this is what one good thing have you done for the planet this week. Um, uh, mine this week is not very impressive. I have been really feeling the need for roast dinners now that it's getting cold and wintry and a bit rubbish. Trying to um, figure out where this is going. <laughs> Trying to figure I... out where the story's going. <laughs> Okay, I've given you the intro. What do you reckon the ending is? It's like one of the build your own adventures. What do you reckon um, I've done this week? Y- uh, you have given up food and you now just lick algae off your plate. I mean, I can't believe you got that in one. You know me we far just, too well. We, yeah, we just know It's each other delicious, too long. delicious and nutritious. Um, just like the nut roast that I had instead of a chicken this week. <laughs> Was that, was that the actual story? Uh, that was the actual thing that no, I did. I, try, I tried a nut roast. I've never had a nut roast before. Um, it was all right. I think I might need to try a few more to find like my favourite one. Yeah, I, I don't but, know if I have or not. But to be honest, I, we, I mean, well, I live with a vegetarian and we will be having a vegetarian Christmas anyway. Mm. Um, so I think I might have to sample some nut roasts. So if anyone's got some good recommendations for nut roasts. <laughs> yeah, if anyone's got a favourite, let me know. To be fair, the one I had did have like a camembert on top. Oh. So... It was, that bit was very good. That bit was very good. So that's my little stab at trying to make this winter um, a bit less meat-eaty. And a little bit nuttier. A bit nutty. A bit nutty. A bit we are a bit nutty in this house, so I'm happy with it. What about you? What have you done this week? Um, I'm going to sort of imagine nut roast as Christmas and then say, oh, you've just led me perfectly into what I'm about to say. <laughs> God, um, we're professionals. So that. Smooth transition. <laughs> We were talking about um, the, the the tree we, we'd like this year, and I think we are going to get a small, real one. Oh, yeah! And to sort of offset some of that, because it, we had a Christmas episode last year, didn't we, where we talked we about did. the pros and cons of real versus fake Christmas trees. Mm. And we're going to get a, a smallish, real one. And I've just made a donation to a charity called The Size of Wales. Oh, tell me more. So, well, I, I've I've been spending a lot of money on myself recently, and I figured <laughs> I treat should probably yourself. spend money on other <laughs> things as well. I should probably give back a little. So, I, I I made a donation to Size of Wales, sort of offset part of the Christmas tree buying, and there is a, a Welsh-based charity, of course. And the reason they're called Size of Wales is because whenever you watch a news report, 
about the, the loss of Amazon rainforest or pretty much anything else going on in the world. They always compare it to the size of whales. They, like, they, 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 they always say something like, oh, it's three times the size of whales. You're right. Why is, is that? I guess, well, for the UK, it's, it's a fairly easy, easy thing to visualize on dramatic scale. Mm. I mean, I, I can't imagine anywhere else in the world they compare it to the size of whales. But anyway, no. so this charity um, helps replant trees, but also uh, it lends expertise to, to like local indigenous communities to, to care for um, nature themselves as well. Amazing. So it's um, quite a nice little charity. That's fab. Good. Well, you've, you've done very well there, I think. Thank you. Very nice. You sound so surprised. I should stop being surprised because you do always come up with some good stuff. I didn't uh, mean to sound surprised. I think I just was enjoying the concept of it. Just thinking. thinking well, because I've also been wondering what to do about Christmas trees this year. So this will probably end up being one of my one good things later on in the month. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> because I did buy a real one last year with the intention of keeping it alive. Um, what happened? And it died. How, how quickly? It died in the summer, in the, in the heat wave. Uh, it didn't enjoy my garden for whatever reason. And um, to be honest, a Christmas tree in the garden did look a little bit silly. But no, anyway, this is, this is a one good thing for another time. I need to come up with a solution but anyway, to, to my Christmas problems this year. It's not even December. We can't be talking about Christmas. Anyway, back, back to our, yeah. Let's back go, to uh, our topic, sea ice. So Emma, why are we talking about sea ice now when it's pretty much been the news for decades? It's kind of, it's come back into the news again a little bit more this year because it, essentially this has been a record-breaking bad year for sea ice extent and coverage, hasn't it? And sea yes. ice extent like, covers about 7% of the Earth's surface. But recently the news has been uh, talking about, you know, a vast area of the Arctic Ocean is is still ice-free, even though we're in November, which is really, really late in the season, basically, because it will it will um, melt and shrink in size in the summer, but some will remain, but then it will grow again. More ice will form in, in the winter season. And normally by this point in the year, there would be much greater coverage than there currently is. So that's annoying and worrying. And that's been in the news. Um, and, and basically the, what was it? The lowest monthly ice extent for October um, this year is the lowest it's ever been in satellite record. Um, so that was from the National Snow and Ice Data Center. So all, all doom and gloom, really. Yeah, I mean, the way I've always understood like the Arctic ice, for example, is that there's always a, a, a set and mass in the middle, which is pretty much permanently frozen. And mm. as you say, it sort of grows and shrinks um, across the seasons. But it's not just the extent as well, is it? It's the thickness of the ice. Because it's, so, so there's like two different, if you're thinking about sea ice, you can look at it in two, two different sections almost of the clump of ice. You've got the old ice, which has remained frozen, uh, over various years and that's really thick and it's really it's often really white and really good at being reflective uh, which we'll discuss later but then you get the newly formed ice which has happened that year or it's only one year old it's much thinner it's not quite as compacted it's not so white it's not it basically isn't quite as durable if you can call ice durable and it's therefore much much more likely to melt yeah, so around the, the 1980s, I think it's about 30% of sea ice in the Arctic was five years or older. Mm. Whereas in 2015, that was down to 9% of sea ice was five years or older. Yeah, which is bad. And because if a greater proportion of the ice that you've got is this much, I'm going to say, less durable again, um, ice, 
it is much more likely to be susceptible to damage from things like storms or changes in the natural kind of weather oscillations that the Arctic has. So it's it, it's basically even more likely to suffer. Yeah, I was reading, um, to, well, to sort of illustrate that point, I was reading about a, a Russian icebreaker ship, which was newly commissioned and, and set sail for the first time, I think, like last year, because Russia's got the biggest fleet of icebreakers in the world for, mm. for good reason. And they wanted to test out what this icebreaker could do. And it pretty much sailed to the North Pole and they were looking for ice of about three meters thick to test it out on and they could oh, barely no. find any. Oh, they just sailed no. straight to the North Pole uh, with very little difficulty, which is which sort of underscores the point, I think, quite nicely. God, that's depressing. That is sad. Yeah. So I mean, so why do we care about sea ice? I think maybe we should start there. Why do we care? And why are we doing an episode on on sea ice? Not only is it cool, you know, not only does Father Christmas need it to build his home, um, sea ice is a really important habitat for a lot of species. <laughs> I didn't even write that in my notes. That came. That, that, that just that came straight to you. Inspiration right yeah. there. So you can talk about Christmas too much, <laughs> if you couldn't tell. Um, so yeah, it's a really important habitat for a lot of species. Obviously, you've got your classic polar bears. Everyone knows about polar bears. But you've also got like seals, Arctic foxes in Antarctica. You've got penguins. And, you know, where where sea ice reaches land, it's also an, a, a quite a key thing for protecting coastlines. And it will reduce coastal erosion because it will stop kind of storm damage to coastlines. In some regions, it makes sure that permafrost remains frozen. So permafrost is soil that's been frozen for over two years. Um, and that's a really big source of, of carbon, basically. It's, it's stored a lot of carbon. And um, we want to keep that frozen. We don't want that to melt much like the, the sea ice. And then actually, it's got a really big role in nutrient cycling and the way our oceans work, doesn't it? Um, even even just the way that it forms and reduces every year helps to regulate a lot of local climate and global climate and global weather patterns. So as ice freezes, um, all of the ice crystals will form on the ocean surface and they will expel the salt, which means that the water immediately below the ice um, is much saltier than a lot of the rest of the ocean. And this is really dense, it's really heavy, so it will sink to the bottom. And then by doing so, and the kind of fresher water rises up, it, it, it helps to create these huge nutrient cycles. It keeps the water moving around in the in the in the water column. There's some beautiful hand movements going on, by the way. I wish you could I wish you could see this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all sorts yeah, of swooshings and very, rotations i'm eloquently or elegantly um explaining uh the nutrient cycling with my hands um but yeah but basically this kind of mixing of the surface water and the water from the deep brings up all the nutrients to the surface which allows life at the surface to flourish so you've got phytoplankton and all sorts that need all the nutrients that are then being brought up and then as soon as they flourish you've got your phytoplankton you've got your diatoms and things like that they're basically the bottom of the food chain, aren't they? So where they flourish, fish populations flourish, and then bigger predators can flourish. So the Arctic might look really harsh, a re well, a really harsh environment from above if you're just looking at sea ice, but underwater it is so full of life and so important to the health of our oceans. Yeah, and building on your point of wildlife, you get uh, wildlife encroachment as uh polar bears and other animals lose their habitats they are much more likely to come into contact with humans because they'll start to move further south mm. uh, and we, we had a lovely podcast with lizzie daly didn't we where we talked about we human wildlife conflict and that takes up a, a lot of resources from the human's point of view but also it, it risks death and destruction of of wildlife and and food chains that way 
And you mm. sort of touched on storms a little bit earlier, didn't you? Mm. And when the uh, Arctic ice melts, it can trigger winter storms. So in the last couple of years, we have had pretty severe winter storms in Northern Europe, especially. Mm. And that's because the, the fresh water will cool faster. So you get more, much more of a temperature difference between north and south. So remember, storms generally are because you get cold fronts and warm fronts. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember my best BBC weather. It's good. You've got some really good memories. hand gestures yeah. going on. It's the podcast yeah. of hand gestures nice today. Warm front coming in from the south, meeting <laughs> the cold front from the north. So the more that gets destabilised, <laughs> the more severe the storms. And what is commonly thought of as, as a as a plus in terms of melting ice, is shipping routes. Mm. So as the sea ice starts to melt, shipping routes through the, the northern passage uh, become open. Mm. But on the which is great for shipping companies, I guess. But on the flip yeah, side, what that risks, yeah, what that risks is <laughs> oil spills and shipwrecks in a, an absolutely pristine environment mm, and noise pollution in that environment. We've too. had a few shipwrecks in the last few few months. There was one on the, on the coast of Mauritius, I think it was. Mm, so that it, looked it's, nasty. It's not an old thing. But shipwrecks still very much happen. Mm. And then one of the one of the biggest things that comes up if you're talking about um, sea ice and snow in general and land ice and ice packs and all sorts um, is the fact that it is white and it is a huge reflective surface. Yes. Which when you're thinking about how much of the sun's energy is coming into Earth, um, reflecting that is an incredibly important part of how we live and regulating our climate. Um, so the Arctic uh, and the Antarctic, both of them, the bigger they are, the more ice there is and also the thicker and older the ice is so the whiter it is and the more reflective it is the more heat it will reflect back out of the earth's atmosphere which is exactly what we need when we're facing things like climate change triggering you know global warming um and then as the sea ice is reducing um it's interesting it's called so it's called a positive feedback mechanism because we're getting less and less sea ice forming every year because it's getting warmer and then because it's less and less sea ice, even less heat from the sun is being radiated out. So it's not cooling it the way it would normally cool it. And then the earth's getting even warmer and warmer and warmer. And it's just this horrible potential spiral effect, um, which would basically exacerbate climate change. And that means that as uh, time goes on, the whole Arctic weather system becomes even more unpredictable. So I've got a quote from uh, someone from NOAA, N-O-A-A, which is the, oh, yeah. no, the National Oceanographic Atmospheric Agency, I think it stands for, in the US. Sure. And they were saying that we're pretty much entering a, a new regime, they called it, in the Arctic, which is characterized by younger, thinner ice, which is more mobile and it's more vulnerable to break up during storms. So again, that's another positive feedback mechanism where because it's thinner, it's going to continuously break up more often. Mm. And, and so, so their modeling systems are basically struggling to predict at any large scale or for any, any long-term predictions because they, they don't know because the whole thing is changing so much and it's not the same system that was there mm. 5, 10, 15 years ago. And even the climate modelling um, predictions that currently exist, so I, I pinched this from the NASA website, um, quite a lot of them predict, if you're looking at the Arctic, that it will be ice-free for at least part of the year before the end of the 21st century, completely ice-free, which is horrifying. And some models will even predict an ice-free Arctic by 
by mid-century, which, let's be honest, is, is really not that far away. You and I can still be podcasting at that point. <laughs> I, you know. I hope so. <laughs> Stick with us, listeners. <laughs> it's um, the next 30 years. Yeah, so it's, it's really hard to predict. Uh, I mean, as with climate change in general, or any facet of climate change, it's incredibly hard to predict. Um, but, uh, you know, scientists are doing their best and the things that are coming out of the models that we are managing to put together and constantly improving don't paint a very happy picture if we continue business as normal. Okay, so we've talked about the consequences of mm. melting Arctic sea ice in particular, but what are the mechanisms that are driving it? Do you want to go first on this one? Do you want to do a little like tennis back and forth? A little tennis back and forth. Um, oh, no, I've put reasons, you on the spot. But I've talked about <laughs> positive feedback mechanism. Okay. Number one, <laughs> um, carbon emissions. Carbon emissions are bad. We're producing an absolute metric ton of carbon emissions. I might have to bleep that out. And it's, you know, contributing to climate change. And then that is what's kind of setting off all of these really devastating positive feedback mechanisms. Yeah. Um, it's bad. It's I mean, all that, bad. That's kind of the root cause almost of mm. all the other reasons we're about to give you. Yes. Because uh, as you say, it just disrupts weather patterns and all sorts everywhere following on from that then siberia in russia uh, which is pretty much on the arctic coast had in in some places for the first time ever 100 degree fahrenheit summer mm. so in october 2020 the whole siberian coast should have been covered in ice but it wasn't and that at time of recording that was only two weeks ago where it, it should have been covered in ice but it wasn't uh, so basically the whole autumn ice growth has been disrupted because quite simply there's more heat in the oceans, in part because of that Siberian heat wave, in part leading from that, climate change. And I mean, the ocean is also warming up because there's less of it. So in the same way that there's less of the ocean covered by reflective white surfaces, um, the rest of the ocean is very dark it's very absorbent in terms of taking in the sun's heat so that is another reason that the ocean is warming and then continuing to melt melt especially the new ice so not only have you got pretty much heat from above you get heat from below so there's a process called atlantification mm. as you might guess is to do with the atlantic ocean which directly joins into the arctic ocean in the north so what we are getting is warmer water warmer streams almost in the Atlantic Ocean mm. moving north and pretty much melting the ice from below. So normally you get that saltier, that warmer water in the in the Atlantic. And what it'll do, as you said earlier, is sit, it sits beneath the colder Arctic water. But as it's being heated from below, from these streams from the Atlantic, that water is rising, that salt is hitting the ice and mixing and it is starting to melt the ice from above. It's pretty much the same process as when you put salt on your driveway mm. to, to melt ice in the winter because that salt gets in the way of all those molecules and stops water from refreezing. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can get... Sorry, this is just like a bit of sciencey knowledge that I remember. pretty sure you can get uh, hey, crack on. salt water down to minus... 18 without it freezing if you've really? got enough salt in it yeah crumbs so, sorry i just thought i dropped that's that pretty, that's some good science knowledge that you've just plucked out thank of you very much your memory very nice thank you i've got nothing else to contribute for the rest of the podcast <laughs> uh 
All right. So we've got we've got warm water, we've got climate change, and we've got a crazy Siberian summer. Yes. So then we're in a situation where for this sea ice, if it want, if it can build back up again, it needs to lose a lot of the heat that's, that it's picked up this summer from those processes we've talked about, whether that's a Siberian mm. heat wave, whether that's Atlantification, whether it's global warming as a whole. So as this goes on, as we said, the ice becomes thinner, weaker, it's more susceptible to storms, more susceptible to regional and temporal anomalies as well. So whereas mm. before you might get freak weather events, freak storms in the Arctic and the ice yeah, might break apart, but it would quite quickly go back to normal, whereas we've lost the resilience pretty much through through climate change and those other processes we talked about. Which is something we're seeing across every environment and every ecosystem, aren't we? Climate change is just really making absolutely everything, whether it's species and biodiversity or if it's, like you said, actual habitats developing, everything is losing its resilience to change and its likelihood for a good future. Cool. What a fun point to end that on. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> well, I was going to talk about the fact that we have discussed the Arctic a lot. Let's go down south. Let's, let's head on down south. Let's go hang with the penguins. Let's take it to the Antarctic. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the Arctic does get a lot of press. I think, I don't know whether that's just because we're in the Northern Hemisphere, so we're closer to it, or actually it's probably because there's a lot more research that's been done and we've got much longer data sets available for the Arctic. Because I did read somewhere, actually, that in the Arctic, they've managed to find Viking records of when sea ice emerged around, oh, wow. like, Iceland. Um, at which time of year that was. So they've been able to use some kind of vague indicators of up to like old Viking times. But then you've also got like historic <laughs> shipping old records. Viking times. <laughs> I was going to try and block a number or a date out of thin air and I thought, no, somebody's going to call me out on it. It's going to be completely wrong. But, um, but yeah, but then in the Antarctic, um, the furthest data sets we've got back then, if you can even call them really data sets, are like the old whaling records kind of from the 30s. Mm. Um, so we don't know as much about it. Um, it's also much harder to access. It's very inhospitable. But interesting. it's interesting to, have, to kind of compare the two because they do have such different geographies. So the Arctic is free-floating sea ice. Like, yes, some of it around the coast will become fast ice. It will um, connect to and be hardened to the bedrock. But um, the majority of it is free-floating. Whereas in the Antarctic... Antarctica itself is a land continent and the sea ice develops all the way around it. And it's so big to study that I think scientists even divide it into five different sections to try and study individually because they're all connecting to different oceans and they've all got such different things going on. But um, yeah, I mean, the Arctic, the Antarctic is really fascinating. I'd absolutely love to go. Yeah, this might sound really stupid, but I always forget it is a continent in its own right. Mm. And do you know what is interesting? So a lot of if when you first look at what's going down in the antarctic there's not quite as much evidence of real devastating loss of sea ice as there is in the arctic so you might initially think huh it's not so bad down there but actually on the one part of the arctic which has warmed um nearly 2 degrees but down by the arctic peninsula that is the one section remember i said there were like five sections that's Did the you one mean section. the antarctic peninsula yes yes cool. <laughs> just, just just to correct, correct. just in case yeah <laughs> Uh, so that bit, which has warmed two degrees, is the part that's being studied, is the part that is experiencing quite a lot of um, loss of sea ice cover. Yeah, I mean, by comparison, well, the, the Arctic... Okay, so we started satellite records around 1978. That's when we mm. started regularly getting uh, surveys through those little shiny boxes in the sky. 
So from 1978, the Arctic sea ice extent, I should say the minimum uh, sea ice extent in the Arctic, which Mm. is at its lowest point around September, that's decreased by about 40% since 1978. Whereas the Antarctic, by, by comparison, apparently between 1979 and 2014, actually showed a slight increase in ice. One mm, percent per decade. There we go. So very, very slight. But like, that's enough for said, the climate it, change skeptics. <laughs> yeah, but but it actually began to decline after that. So mm. 2017 hit a record low, and it kind of stayed the same since. So mm. completely different systems, as you say. And um, that is an average as well. Um, the same data sets have showed that actually, compared to the Arctic, the Antarctic has much bigger like year-on-year fluctuations. But apparently some recent research I was reading about um, in, in New Scientist, well, I mean, it's obviously published elsewhere, but I'm a player, but I just read New Scientist instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is only very recently published, actually. There, some researchers found that there were rivers of warm air which were entering the Antarctic. Ooh. So they were transported across the atmosphere and they actually played a role in opening up large sort of pools in the Antarctic sea ice, so not the land ice, the sea ice. Uh, these are called polynias. 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 So it's uh, like heated water vapour in the sky, like atmospheric rivers. And in 2017, apparently, it did increase air temperatures by 10 degrees C in the Weddell Sea, which is quite interesting. So we're starting to see weather patterns hitting the Antarctic as well. So it makes the ice more fragile and in turn, just like in the Arctic, more likely to be broken up by storms. Mm. So. So indeed. Ice. We normally end on what can we do? It's, well, well, listeners, cut your carbon footprint, but it's 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 hard. Like we can't stuff. really say, yeah, we can't really, you and I are, you know, two plebs doing a podcast there's not a huge amount that you and I can do other than try and contribute to reducing our impact on, you know, our contributions to climate change. Which is still a big thing to do and it's still a very good thing to do. Still very relevant. So it's easy to feel powerless. Travel less, et cetera. Yes. Try and buy things from local, um, try and reduce the reliance on shipping because actually, you know, that has popped back into my mind since we've talked about shipping going through the Arctic. A, shipping is a big contributor to climate change, and B, they're even going around nosing up and bothering all of the, the wildlife up there. I mean, anthropogenic noise as well. And if you're listening well, just, um, to this podcast from the far north of Canada, just leave the polar bears alone. Yeah. That, that's, that's something you can do, you Canadians. Sorry. Um, so, <laughs> Do you know what? I did read somewhere that um, I cannot remember if it was Canada or Alaska, so I'm really sorry for getting this horribly bungled, but I'm plucking it from my brain. There's a rule in a community which is every now and again frequented by polar bears because obviously they're coming in to hunt because they're trying to find any form of food. And um, the rule is if you park your car in town, you're not allowed to lock your car doors because at any point... Anyone oh, anywhere in. in the community could could use your car as a um, like a hiding point and a really safe space to avoid a polar bear. Oh my word! That's a great idea. Do you see? Um, oh, I can't remember the TV program. It was a couple of years ago where again I think it was Alaska. Uh, bear, they had the, the bear patrol pretty much like the the polar bears would wander in and they just like hoist it up that they'd have to capture it and hoist it into the air by helicopter and then transport it back to where it came from. 
And then the same polar bear had come back a few times. (laughs) So he kept getting free rides back home. I like that. I like that. It's cheaper than an Uber, isn't it? I like it a lot. (laughs) But in terms of bigger solutions... Yes. Scientists are working on it. There are some some, uh, smart, slightly mad people out there. With with some cool ideas. Who we salute. So I think the main one that we both found, actually, was the Arctic Ice Project, which is like a Californian non-profit company Mm. where they are proposing to scatter a very thin layer of glass powder over arctic ice Mm. and water the idea being that it would take the place of the lost ice and also protect the ice that is there and reflect more sunlight Mm. yeah it would kind of boost the reflective abilities wouldn't it of of the of the ice yeah and and the another advantage is that even if the ice below it starts to melt the reflective glass would still keep working it'd still be doing its job and they have had some success apparently have you seen they started testing it in in some lakes and and ponds in minnesota and elsewhere uh and it it, it looks pretty successful yeah i mean i think they they kind of settled on they wouldn't just sprinkle it across the whole of the arctic willy-nilly because there are still some questions around what happens to it when it gets dispersed so they decided to make it out of silica or silicon dioxide, which basically is a is what makes up most sand normally and is often used to make glass, which is why we're calling them glass powder. And these tiny little beads are highly reflective, and each one of them is um, 65 micrometers in diameter, which is thinner than a human hair. So that'll be a nice little... It basically looks... It does look like very fine sand. Yeah. Um, but they've made them hollow inside so that they would float on the top of the water. Well, this is the thing. So it's, as, as you say, it's, it's silica. So it's it's a more, you, you, you can't really see on the podcast the air quotes I'm doing, but more natural <laughs> thing to have in the environment compared to, for example, microplastics. Mm. However, as you also said, it's hard to know the exact ramifications of putting that much in a thin layer on the ice and on the sea. Because you could, for example, again, get ingestion by animals, and we don't really know whether that's a particular problem or not, mm. whether they would stick around like microplastics would, or whether it would just it's not a problem. We don't know. Uh, they could be ingested by uh, copepods and, and plankton communities, which might mistake them for smaller plankton, for example. Mm. And also, in a similar vein, it's possible they will block sunlight. Like some scientists have argued, it could block sunlight then from reaching photosynthesizing plankton below, which mm. would use that sunlight. But I don't know. It's it's a really interesting idea. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting idea. I want to watch, but there are, you know, rightly so, lots of questions being asked of it. But I think it's really interesting. Yeah, you found some others though, didn't you? Because yeah, you were talking about a pump, which I think we might have covered in. A while ago, we did like crazy sustainability ideas. I think I remember you talking about this, yeah. Yeah. So this is the idea that you would use wind-powered pumps to basically bring up really cold water from the depths of the ocean um, and pour it over the surface of ice where it would would freeze pretty quickly um, and use this to kind of try and build up thicker layers of ice, which would then be more likely to survive the summer melting season and kind of reinforce this area of ice um and in principle that sounds like quite a simple easy solution doesn't it you know could be quite good um but you know there's thoughts that it's probably quite energy intensive and it might not necessarily be very effective but 
it's being explored, which is quite cool. Which is what we need, um, unfortunately, at this point. Uh, I, I, I'm sure many people feel that we wish we didn't have to be at this point where we consider such mm-hmm. things, but it's important, I think, to have them in the back pocket. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, even if you if we don't get to the point where we need them, although I would argue that we probably are at the point where we need them, it's yes. good to have. It's good to know they're there because if you start developing them when the problem is already at its worst, you're not going to have as much impact as if you could do them now. So yeah, but I mean, another one I saw that was quite interesting, which I can't really visualize. Perhaps you can help me here. Um, is is the use of really tiny micro bubbles in water? So <laughs> the the kind of the air to water interface is quite refractive. It can reflect light. And it's been shown that small bubbles in water will reflect light more efficiently than big bubbles in water. So the idea was kind of that you use micro bubbles to brighten the water surface to reflect more light so that it can almost mimic a bit more of what okay. the ice does as opposed to the very dark surface of the ocean does. Interesting. So how... I'm not 100% using... sure how they deploy said micro bubbles. Bubble machines? I don't know. The or paper was behind a paywall and I didn't pay for it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but so like you said, it just kind of illustrates we are going to some really strange lengths and people are being very innovative. But, you know, hopefully some of these will work. And the nice, I don't know, the nice, I think, I think the thing I liked about that one is that in the same way you said that using silica was more natural... The idea of using bubbles, again, feels like a slightly more natural process. Yeah, yeah. It's it more natural, certainly, than some of the old crazy ideas, which have included putting giant mirrors in the sky to reflect uh, the yeah, sun's light. Ah, yeah, the old Simpsons method. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, I think we have had an ice conversation. Oh, I knew you were going to try and fit something in. <laughs> I'll be honest, I was expecting better. Well done. Really? I I will try better to articulate my thoughts. In the <laughs> That's future. it. That is the Lloyd Gold. <laughs> That's the stuff that myself and the listeners were looking for. Oh, that, that's good on a t-shirt. <laughs> we should get some new t-shirt designs. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just nature puns. <laughs> yeah, I'd wear them all the time. Um, Perfect. Okay, let's wrap it up then. Um, if you'd like to hear more from us, don't forget that you can keep the conversation going, um, have a little chat, see what we look like, and find out more about what we do on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or, of course, you can email us. And whilst you're doing all those technological whizzy things, maybe, just maybe, you fancy leaving us a lovely little review on your platform of choice. Maybe, indeed. We enjoy seeing stars next to our names. We enjoy seeing your kind <laughs> words. And we also enjoy climbing the charts so we can find more people to listen to us. So any and all reviews help us out. So that would be fantastic. We're showing our true narcissistic colours. Yeah. It's all for us. It's all just an exercise. No, we want to grow so that we can save the world. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Something like that. Perfect. Thanks so much for listening to us again. Yeah, um, again. Well done. Oh, and um, anything we've discussed in this episode, any views we've expressed, are entirely our own. Yes, Lloyd. I nearly forgot the disclaimer. If yeah, you've got I'm, a problem with anything we've said, <laughs> take it up with us and not anyone that we work for or are affiliated with. Lovely. In that case, we will see you next time. All right, then. Yeah, see you soon. Bye. Bye.